Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size. The only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Cameron Buzard-Jamari. Wow, Sam, it's been an entire week. <laughs> and you promised me some terrible, terrible stuff about an agency I used to hold near and dear, but I've had some time to ruminate on this. So let's go. Why don't you remind everyone what happened last week and what's going to happen this week? All right. Last week on The Sample Size. Dun, dun. <laughs> the CDC is in politics. They're starting to clash. Oh, no, Trump administration. Oh, no, things are happening. And now to tune in this week. Racism. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So I, hope that I don't think you should be good. laughing right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at this like Very dumb, aggressive. this dumb like TV show gag. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, all, all right. right, hang on, serious face, because this is I'm I I've been like dreading this for a week. <laughs> How much you're emphasizing a week? My goodness. All right, so as I said, we're going to be talking about racism and the CDC, specifically a new letter that came out from some CDC employees. So on June 30th, a group of CDC employees wrote a letter addressing to the CDC director, Robert Redfield, calling for the CDC to address the, quote, ongoing and recurring acts of racism and discrimination against Black employees. So as of mid-July, when NPR first reported this story, over 1,200 current employees had signed the letter, which is over 10% of the CDC workforce, just to put in perspective. So I will not read you the whole letter because it is a seven-page document, so it is quite long, but I will give you some excerpts. And listeners, I will, of course, link the whole letter in the show notes if you want to read it. So the letter starts off by mentioning the coronavirus pandemic's disproportionate impact on the Black community, the killings of George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and Rashad Brooks, and the recent protests against police violence. And then it reads, quote, At CDC, we have a powerful platform from which to create real change. By declaring racism a public health crisis, the agency has an unprecedented opportunity to leverage the power of science to confront this insidious threat that undermines the health and strength of our entire nation. Yet CDC must clean its own house first. In light of the recent calls for justice across this country and around the world, we, as dedicated public health professionals, can no longer stay silent to the widespread acts of racism and discrimination within CDC that are, in fact, undermining the agency's core mission. So this letter also mentions some examples of what Black employees at the CDC have faced, including lack of inclusion in senior ranks and leadership programs and old boy girl network that prevents black employees from advancing and a toxic culture of racial aggressions, bullying and marginalization. Now, I personally found this shocking because I'm a public health professional and I look at the CDC as one of the big authorities on public health. And I also know that there's a system in place to prevent discrimination like this in the federal government. Man, this just sucks because you always think of science as being this great equalizer. Like it's supposed to be this place where like anyone from any background can come and create and contribute and their innovations can help everyone. And then you're like in the STEM field and you just still see it. You still see that people of color are not able to contribute and innovate the same way that white or just privileged people are able to simply because of the color of their skin and who they were born as. And it's it's just it just sucks. Yeah, it does. And like, I'll go into this later in the episode, but public health experts, like we study how race impacts health and we have multiple studies on how, you know, being a person of color can, I 
disproportionately affect your health outcomes. So the fact that this is happening at the premier public health organization is just frustrating. Like we literally decided a bunch of times years ago that we weren't going to do this anymore. And we passed laws and we did all sorts of stuff and the government agreed and it still happens. Come on, this can't. Yeah. So let me speak a little more into that. So part of the federal government is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and they're responsible for enforcing the federal laws that state that it is illegal to discriminate against an employee because of their race, color, religion, sex, gender, sexual orientation, national origin, age, or disability, and that you can't discriminate against someone because they filed a complaint. And the CDC letter mentions how Black employees have filed hundreds of these complaints, of which have been met with, quote, inaction or worse, retaliation. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why retaliation? I mean, Just learn from your mistakes. Yeah, and that that sucks to hear because it's the exact opposite of what's supposed to happen. I mean, in federal government, people have probably heard before there's a whole whistleblower act. So, like, you know, retaliation should be the last thing that happens. There's rules against that. But it sucks to hear in this letter that that's been going on. I mean, that's just the mixed bag of the Whistleblower Act itself is we continue to fail whistleblowers. Mm. So in a way, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And I don't know if you're thinking this, but people may be thinking like, oh, is this coming out because like, has this just started when the Trump administration began? Like, is this like that administration bringing in this culture of things? Well, there's just been reports that that's actually not really the case. Some of this stuff at the CDC has been going on for, you know, like a decade or so. That's weird to me because when I think of this kind of racism inside of agencies, you imagine it going back like a long time ago to the kinds of things that created or came out of segregation or just holdovers of that time. So to hear that it's been really picking up in the last 10 years is insane. I mean, my point being is that it isn't just picked up since the Trump administration. Like this has been an ongoing issue at the CDC. So I think you could be right on that first assessment of like, you know, kind of how racism in general has been in the U.S. It's just been continuously evolving and it's been getting slightly better, but it still exists. You know, it still exists since forever. Yeah, it's. All right. So what does the letter say should be changed? Well, it outlines seven points for how to make things better, which are number one, declare racism a public health crisis in the U.S. Two, increase black representation among leadership. Three, address CDC's toxic culture of racism. Four, dismantle barriers for advancement of black employees. Five, move from talk to action. Six, have mandatory implicit bias training and cultural sensitivity training. And seven, resolve pending equal employment opportunity cases. That's an excellent list. It's actually really nice to see something itemized. Like a lot of places they want change, but it's hard for them to really call out like an itemized list of things. So, you know, good on these guys for being thorough. Oh, very thorough. Because not only did they begin, like this was probably on page two, they had this itemized list. But then I told you there's a seven page document. So, you know, pages three to seven are just them going point by point and further explaining and even like linking articles and stuff (laughs) and talking about it. Like this letter is like pretty thorough. That's amazing. And I don't know, did you want to talk about the bullets right now? Yeah, I actually wanted to focus on the first bullet point, which is declaring racism a public health crisis in the U.S. So I didn't know if you had, did you have any immediate thoughts on that, Cameron? I think that may be one of the best and in a way most obvious, and I'm glad to hear so many people are this excited about, especially at the CDC. Maybe one of the best things to actually bring up as being a national issue, because it's the kind of thing that 
that bleeds over into so many other places. And it's a multi-layered problem. Like that's the kind of thing is like a lot of the diseases we just acknowledge as not being just one problem or one cause. There's lots of factors that go into things that can end up being from malnutrition or from exposure to chemicals or certain environments that lead to all sorts of negative health outcomes. But what we see time and again is that those exact problems are always way worse for people of color, especially black people. Yeah. And that's a great segue. And what I wanted to bring up is then going through kind of what are these things that research and science has told us in how black people are affected more in the U.S. So as I mentioned, it's widely documented that black people in the U.S. and people of color in general have worse health outcomes than their white counterparts. For example, white females have a life expectancy of 81.2 years, while black females have one of 78.5 years. And white males have a life expectancy of 76.4 years compared to black males, which is 71.9 years. And younger black people are more likely to have high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, and strokes compared to younger white people. Black women have the highest rates of preterm births and infant mortality compared to other race groups. And homicide-related death is highest among black males, and black people are disproportionately affected by HIV. So there's just, you know, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of things that they're disadvantaged of compared to their white counterparts. Yeah, and I mean, those come from a number of places. For one, I know this is like one that I learned about very recently that I keep seeing over and over again, is just how people of color and especially black people are in communities that are always in the disaster zone for polluted waterways and chemical plants. Like, I know this is a big problem in Louisiana. A lot of refineries, especially refineries that are putting out very toxic pollutants, are in areas that are predominantly black-owned. And so a lot of people there have higher rates of cancer or higher rates of respiratory problems. And then there's just the growing factor that a lot of the opportunities for health care and medical prevention are not offered to them, either because things like Medicaid or just access to appropriate medical care or medical care through your work mm -hmm. does not benefit people of color nearly as much as it helps white people. Oh, yeah. There are definitely social factors at play here, and I can give you even more of them. Like, black people have higher rates of unemployment, poverty, obesity, and not having health insurance. All of which are real problems when healthcare is directly tied to your work. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, that's the American standard for healthcare. Yes. Other, other countries have found ways where anyone can buy healthcare or get access to healthcare either through a national program or in some parts through their job. But at the same time, their healthcare is universal in that almost everyone, every provider, every kind of doctor in those places is required to take it, which there are always going to be arguments about how it's not always great on a case-by-case -case basis. But the floor of medical prevention and medical opportunity in those places is higher than it is in the United States, mm -hmm. even for employed people. Yeah, it's it's continuously frustrating on that. That'll probably be an episode later talking into that. I'm sure yeah, we'll that'll come back there. into the we'll, news we'll get there. at some point. Especially with everything going on. Yeah. And so specifically when it comes to this coronavirus pandemic, like I'm sure you've also read how the coronavirus has been disproportionately affecting people of color and black people. And that's because people of color, they're disproportionately affected because of lack of health care access, because they're more likely to be essential workers 
workers. They're more likely to have crowded housing conditions or be homeless and have higher amounts of chronic stress from all the things I listed before here and, you know, discrimination in general. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to public health, like there are so many factors that play off of each other, like a person's socioeconomic status, which is like someone's education and income, occupation, and different social determinants of health, such as like where a person lives and what resources they have access to, and stress, which has a negative impact on a person's mental and physical health. And guess what? Racism fits right into that narrative. Like, let's think, what could be a factor that has an impact on a Black person's, you know, housing situation, education, job, and stress levels? Racism. Like, it just fits. Also, like, I, I just want to take a moment to, like, appreciate, like, this is that scary moment where we can either get it really right or really wrong. Because if people are to actually approach this problem and say racism is fun, like, it is everything you said. We have factual data going back and all sorts of studies that show that depression, stress, not being able to access high-quality food, all sorts of things, things that are directly, historically correlated with racism are problems that actively undermine the health of this entire community. And giving it attention is awesome. But we've seen time and again where there are opportunities to give a racist problem attention and we messed it up as a society. And it led to things like segregation. And it mm. led to things like poorly handled the GI Bill that continuously benefited white people as opposed to all people who were in the military or people of color not being allowed to get housing, knowing full well that people in America needed housing. Yeah. All these places where it's something that this is where we have to step back and really think about it. We need to act. People need help, but we need to be careful that we don't screw up again. So I'm not saying there shouldn't be action, but man, am I worried about what that action might end up being. <laughs> all right. So I'm curious now. So are you are you worried that by, let's say the CDC said racism is a public health threat or a public health issue. Do you think by declaring that, that would be, you know, potentially preventing anything from being done? At a partisan level, yeah. Because that's like one big thing that's going to get everything mucked up in all of our places of legislature is the moment something becomes about race. It becomes weirdly easy for one side to undermine the entire message. That's true. But I want to be clear. Me personally, this is not a problem that deserves an action. This I am 100% on board with this letter. I'm 100% on board with everything that they're saying. And I'm just really, really hope that we get to see action that doesn't go like how we historically messed things up before. Like you, I think you said before, every time we have a racist problem, we seem to move a little forward towards the progressive side. I just can't stand the idea of this becoming another racist problem that continues to undermine people of color when they really obviously need help in the especially public health setting. You know, I'm actually kind of fascinated that you're bringing this point up because one thing during this whole pandemic, the CDC has resisted doing is listing that black people or people of color are in a high risk category for catching coronavirus. And I mean, you're probably wondering because I mentioned before, like, yes, people of color and black people are disproportionately affected by the virus. Like they are catching it at higher rates and having, you know, higher complications from it and all sorts of things. And there's a whole lot of factors at play there for why that's the case. And so the CDC, it kind of came out in a recent story. They've officially decided that they do not want to list like specific races as being in a high risk category because they don't want the perception to be that, oh, these certain groups of people like should be avoided or like, oh, no, they're like, you know, they're thinking basically they don't want people thinking like, oh, this certain group of people are like COVID carriers. So we should stay away from them. Yeah, this goes back to that weird, uncanny 
balance. I mean, when this all started, it was considered, it was called the Chinese virus. Everyone who was of Asian descent, even if you weren't Chinese, was seeing a lot of public backlash, a Basically, discrimination. It was hard of? to be Asian and not be associated with the virus or spreading the virus because of the way the media was portraying it. Mm -hmm. So this is a case of a scientific agency being very deliberate and saying, we need to be careful about how we present this because we don't want to stigmatize those people. I think another benefit to not doing that is it's really easy for you to look at a statistic and say, I'm not a person who is in the category that's at most risk, mm. which then you conflate with, I'm going to be fine. And you go out and you get sick and you die. And being clear that this is a problem across the board, anyone can get the virus and anyone can get morbidly ill and die from it. I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind when your goal is the general health of everyone and trying to avoid things like race. On the one hand, especially for this pandemic, I can see why you would want to do that. But I also really like the idea and really hope that they do make racism, systemic racism, a core issue of public health because it goes into so many other things. And it is a real problem that its effects bleed over into other parts of society you don't even fully appreciate are affected. And actually, so this discussion of race and the coronavirus and how the CDC are reporting it, it even gets a bit more interesting than their decision to not put certain races at high risk categories because it's also been coming out that the CDC has just been having like missing data on the race and ethnicity of people that are catching coronavirus because like when state and health departments have been reporting this information, a lot of times that data has been missing. Like I think I saw something it was high as like 72% of the reports like had it missing. And so on July 24th, the CDC did issue like they called it a racial equity strategy document and they vowed to improve data collection and diversify the public health workforce responding to the pandemic. So I'm kind of hoping that this is a sign that the CDC is trying to be more visible about racial disparities when it comes to the coronavirus. And, you know, that going back to our overarching discussion that hopefully they will consider declaring racism a threat to public health and creating a culture change at the CDC, or at least just, if not just outright declaring it, I think you make a good point of talking about it and discussing a way to approach the issue of how can we make people look at racism and understand that that's playing a big part in people's health. Yeah. And just to be clear, I don't want to, I know you don't either. I don't want to undermine the leadership part of this. There's still a very obvious reason this idea of racism not being embraced as a issue in terms of public health. And I think it's fair to assume based on the contents of the letter that a large part of it is people in leadership do not see those other people as like them. And so they are not a priority in how the CDC handles these kinds of issues. And so one of the easiest ways you can fix that problem is to improve the diversity of the board. And that means just more people of color. I hope this doesn't turn into some sort of argument of we need to see more people of a certain color. Just there needs to be diversity at all levels to really get that mixing and representation that shows not just people. I mean, right now it's very clear black people in particular are vulnerable, but they're all. No, this is a bad. No, well, like that's a good point. Diversity in general in the workforce is always a good thing. Like when it comes to gender, when it comes to sexual orientation, when it comes to race, when it comes to different backgrounds, disability versus non-disability, it's just always a benefit when you have a well-rounded group of people because they're able to bring different experiences and different backgrounds and they're able to think of things differently. So it's just a benefit to the end product because you have all these different viewpoints at work 
work when you're deciding things and make sure that you're not leaving people out. Exactly. And I'm really happy to hear about this letter. And I really wish there was something I as an individual could do to support it. But I'm guessing because this is at the level of government, I'm going to be out in the cold on this one. Yeah. Unfortunately, this letter, like it's not something that's available to the public to sign. It was only CDC employees that were able to sign it and Mm -hmm. able to address it. But I mean, it's it's out there. We're talking about it. So it's gaining traction and publicity, which is always a good thing. Yeah, this is like one of those weird moments where you have to think about how democratic is our democracy, because on the one hand, I'm not sure how much we can achieve as individuals, even with our voting power. On the other hand, when you're able to make a problem like this visible, like honestly, it's like that cliched line of the first step to solving a problem is knowing it exists Mm -hmm. is really important to know that this exists, especially in places where you just don't really think that's going to be a problem. Like I've done stories for my other podcast. Yeah, I'm going to plug it. Oh, okay. I didn't know this was coming. (laughs) About how the STEM field can fail people with disabilities because people with disabilities aren't really the people at the forefront of the people you think of as doing science. Mm -hmm. And also because some institutions think it's easier to not really have to worry about people with service dogs or people with certain disabilities, even though those people are just as capable as contributing to the field of STEM as everyone else who might be in the lab. And so when you get diversity of all people, of all backgrounds and all colors and all gender preferences, you get to see all the places where medicine fails people and actually be able to address it. And that's this in microcosm, getting to acknowledge something so that at the very least, it's not as easy to brush it under the rug. Yeah, that's wow. That is such a great point. I don't even think I need to say any more. I think I just want to get to the point where I say all my sources are in the show notes. (laughs) I did it. Podcast (laughs) over. We can finally end the charade. Uh, (laughs) All right. I've also included in the show notes a link to some articles that Harvard has on race and health because there is so much research out there and some of them are really fascinating. By the way, you can find us wherever you find podcasts. And if you enjoyed the episode, please do share it with anyone who you think would has a perspective on this or would like to learn more about this. Or if you have a perspective on this that you think we should hear about, please get in touch with a sample size show on Twitter and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.